from TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive. Mineral snowing high tide hotel here and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. episode 41 of the e-word my name is kyle i'm recording here in madison wisconsin via skype i'm talking to my friend ellie who's over there in austin texas ellie it's been a couple weeks what's up not much um things have been a little quiet on the you don't need maps front but there's gonna be big things uh getting announced like within the next couple weeks probably around the time this episode comes out uh big things will be announced and i hope i can hijack the e-word twitter to signal boost (laughs) if that's cool that's what it's there for yeah. Uh, oh, I also, I also made people really mad yesterday uh, with the modern baseball tweet. Yep, that was one of those things where it's like people I know IRL are kind of like Kyle. Was that you? I'm like, it's never, it's never you. Is the is my favorite thing. <laughs> uh, no one IRL ever is like, yo, what the fuck, Ellie. So it's just always you being punished for like my <laughs> bad, bad behavior on Twitter. Yes. Uh, well, this is the 2017 the rest of episode we're recording out of order and these will probably come out out of order but uh we have a we have a great guest to talk about 20, 2017 with us we have david anthony who who has written for a lot of places that you probably read uh av club noisy you're also on a podcast but david i'll let you go ahead and flesh that out yeah thank you um yeah, I'm a freelancer so i kind of take work where i can get it uh most people probably know me if they know me at all, from uh, being the music editor at the AV Club for a few years, uh, did a podcast with my pal Dan Ozzy for a while. Uh, currently, do a podcast with my buddy Tim about Alkaline Trio because we're both oh, yeah. from Chicago, mm-hmm, as yeah. we are wont to do. Uh, have a newsletter called Former Clarity that you can subscribe to, and yeah, just kind of out there doing the thing. Um, thanks for the kind intro. I'm sure. I'm a big step down from what you guys were expecting to have from this episode, so thanks for uh, still letting me do it. Honestly, uh, absolutely not. Kyle Kyle suggested Ian Cohen, and I was like, really, him again? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Having also done podcasts with Ian Cohen, yes, uh, him and I do not need to talk about emo together again on a podcast. <laughs> um, also, apologies to all your listeners. I have a little bit of a lisp. I had uh, throat surgery a week ago today. 
Uh, my tongue is a little swollen from them having to move nerves around in my throat. Uh, but we're going to power through here. I'm stoked. Uh, I guess, David, do you have anything to plug at the top here? Like, is there anything that people should be on lookout for? Or should we be Honestly, subscribing to As You Were? Yeah, subscribe to As You Were. We, we've uh, been we're pretty deep into that whole experiment now. And it's kind of going off the rails in ways where we're just talking about uh, even if you're not a fan of Outline Trio, I think there's stuff for you to find in it as we kind of talk about the state of what was like the weird world of punk in the mid to late 2000s and into the start of this de- decade. Um, no huge, well, I, I contributed to a uh, pretty big emo related writing project earlier this year. I literally uh, turned in all my blurbs in January. And this is something that Ian Cohen put together, and it's still not run. So maybe when if that ever comes out, uh, that'll be a thing. But yeah, uh, subscribe to As You Were, subscribe to the newsletter. That's davidanthony.substack.com. And uh, that's about all for me. I'm kind of going to be laying low through the end of the year. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, I Well, David, I wanted to ask, uh, what do you think of this A Decade Under the Influence series that you're now guesting on? Um we were talking about a little bit before this, but you were someone who were like involved with this decade, like, you know, on the forefront of going to the shows, maybe covering it towards the middle to the end. Uh, but, uh, you know, are, are, are we missing anything? Have we not shown some light onto something, uh, specifically? I mean, I, uh, I really love this series for a lot of reasons. And part of that is because I think, uh, emo in particular, it's always been a youth movement. Um, obviously at the start of this decade, we saw a lot of reunions from, you know, some of the, uh, big players of the mid to late nineties, which is cool. But when I was coming up, um, obviously like being from just outside Chicago, I got into the cap and jazz and braid and all that kind of stuff. But very quickly it was like, going to see bands like Lion of the North, and then obviously that became Grown Ups, and bands like Algernon coming through, and Snowing, and all that all that shit. But even around then, it was kind of, it just felt like you were going to see local bands. Like, I remember the first time I saw Grown Ups was a show they played with that band Daylight, who became Super Heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was in my, my hometown. It was a Monday night. It was Daylight grown-ups this band called Erfurt and this band called like bats who were kind of like a you know that kind of like org core pop punk thing and at the time yeah. those worlds were still pretty overlapping like a lot of these bands people were just like oh it's just kind of i remember people calling it twinkly pop punk you know people weren't even yeah. necessarily in my circle seeing it as emo and there were five people at that show uh <laughs> fuck and like I remember seeing grown ups and like a lot of these bands were like Cloudmouth, a band from Chicago who I really mm-hmm. loved, who had much more of like a shot maker kind of vibe. Um, I would see these bands play through six people, you know. Um, and one of my favorite memories of, of that time is there was a venue here called Strange Light, which was run by uh, the, the guys from Cloudmouth. And it was beyond, uh, below the Congress Theater. And I think it was the snowing 1994 tour. It was a winter tour. 
and they played the same night at Strange Light that uh, Wu Tang Clan was playing the venue above, um, and it was a really funny like culture clash of like people waiting in line to go see Wu Tang who are like hours and hours late, and like kids like going into the side door to see these bands. So it, yeah, I mean for me, what I like about the series is it kind of touches on all that stuff, and I think both of you really understand the importance of things like that. Where at the time I was just writing like zines or doing writing for blogs like i remember reviewing the grown-ups releases for like just like a blog i wrote for and i didn't know anyone else who cared at the time um and i just kind of always like coming up i didn't really care about the bigger music media because they didn't care cover shit i cared about you know i didn't care about pitchfork or any of that because i was like oh this just isn't for me who cares so it's cool to see that Obviously, uh, emo in this decade has uh, gotten a lot more uh, of a rep and people care about it more in the kind of overground music press. But it still has the people like you uh, both who are a part of it and are really uh, continuing to um, do a better job of detailing that history than I think a lot of people do. So kudos to both of you. Hey, thanks. Means a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, specifically, you hit on Grown Ups a bunch, which is a band that we hardly got to talk about because they didn't get the votes because they were up against, like, Altranon and Snowing in those years. But, uh, yeah, yeah uh, I, I, I think that's a band that is, like, criminally not documented at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's really funny because, like, they were just, like, I remember at that... Uh, show my friend kyle who played bass and like bats and then ended up joining grown-ups and played on the handholder ep at the end of the band he came up to me and he was like oh have you seen them and i was like no like what are they like he's like oh dude it's uh it's just blink 182 doing american football songs and i was like oh okay <laughs> like that was literally how people talked about him or like people would be like it's Ladderman, but like american football and we'd be like okay i got it um but for me, like that was like my local band. You know, I they were from Northwest Indiana. I saw them all the time. Um, I saw them thankfully all the time because they also canceled shows all the fucking time. Um, and were notoriously unreliable. And uh, yeah, and there was like I remember going to the Grown Ups More Songs record release show, and it was like basically like a festival. There were like seven bands playing. They didn't go out until like after two a.m. It was. <laughs> fucking chaos uh but yeah i mean all those bands to me like that was really where i i was super excited by all that stuff and it still felt very nebulous there was not really the emo revival term and i remember just like when all those bands started breaking up like grown-ups uh cloudmouth snowing algernon i was like oh it's over like i'm i'm not interested in this anymore <laughs> and obviously it kept going but that's still kind of true like for me that was kind of my golden era everything after that is like there's a lot of great bands and a lot of great records but I, i'm much more selective of it because it, it's i'm more of an outsider to it now and i recognize that um if i can interject i think part of the reason that grown-ups get short shrift um even though they were definitely like one of the more popular bands of of their time, um, is because 
you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like cult love in screamo circles for like Lion of the North. But mm-hmm. when Lion of the North broke up, part of that band became Grown Ups, and then another part of that band became La Dispute. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you have kind of like that that like divergent tree effect. Um, oh yeah. And La Dispute, of course, ended up being like crossover phenomenon uh, in a way that Grown Ups never could be, or I think wanted to be. Um, oh, totally. And, and I mean. And, I, I, not to interrupt you there, but like I think one of the points too is, Grown Ups position themselves as like a Chicago punk band. Like the fact that right. more songs was recorded by Matt Allison, which is a choice that you would only make if you were kids who grew up on like Alpine Trio and the Lawrence Arms. Um, and that dude did not know how to record that fucking record. Um, that record doesn't sound very good. Like it's fine for what it is. Like, you can hear, like, woes being punched in and kind of cut off in different spots. And, like, to me, that's really endearing. But, like, I totally understand why someone hearing that is like, I don't understand why this sounds like this. I don't understand the decisions being made, both artistically and musically. Um, right. Yeah. So, I, I it just doesn't feel as... It feels more indebted to the things that it was coming out of, as opposed to a lot of dispute, which... Though obviously pulling from the me without you well, I think for a lot of people was, wow, this is a brand new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, David, do you have any big love for that band, the Clippers, who are from Chicago? Uh, I thought the Clippers were from Boston. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I do like the Clippers a lot. Uh, my girlfriend, Nina, who is also a music writer and also has a lot of love for this type of stuff, uh, I kind of slept on them. I knew oh, about they were the from Mass- they okay, the- yeah, they were from Massachusetts. Maybe I've just watched a lot of videos of them playing in Chicago. I thought they were well, from Chicago. Or no, they, they, did, did, a they bit, did the the split. They with, did the split with coping. coping right? That's and, yeah, and that's a Chicago band. Yeah, coping okay, was maybe Chicago that's band. Okay, yeah, I flip flop. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, like I do like both those bands a lot. Uh, the Clippers, I kind of got into retroactively, but I, I think. Uh, that an evening with EP is really great. Yeah. This whole time, I thought the Clippers were an LA team. <laughs> well done, my friend. <laughs> um, are we going to do the whole where were you in 2017 uh, vibe? I say so. 2017 vibe check. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can start because 2017 was the year that I kind of lost my mind. And then I started this podcast sick <laughs> uh no love it uh big same uh honestly yeah. relatable when i get to my part yeah 2017 i i feel like i did lost uh, i did lose my mind for the majority of that of that year i was also heavily i think 2016 to 2017 i was really into our emo like being active on it and like giving way too much of a shit about it and what people were saying um but we did start this podcast it was basically at the end of the fall and that we were up and running by then uh but yeah i was losing my mind i was working full-time and i had a part-time internship which i didn't need to be doing but it turned into the job that i wanted to get so it was worth it but that wasn't happening in in 2017 where it became worth it uh so yeah i yeah i was on a downward spiral in 2017 but everything uh, came into place in 2018. Uh, I was uh, I was a, also a horrible fucking wreck in 2017. Uh, just 
massive self-destructive spiral. I did manage to finally get out of like the the fucking heroin den that I was living in. Um, I I too spent way too much time and emotion uh, involved in our emo and the adjacent Discord servers. Um, w- one of these days, I might like devote a bonus podcast episode to just the drama of the Discord servers, uh, <laughs> even though like maybe twelve people would care, but. Like that, that was just like an interpersonal nightmare. Um, and then at the very end, uh, you know, you started this podcast and I kind of like latched onto it very quickly because, uh, I already could tell that this would be like my, my one like ocean of stability. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, for me, I also started a podcast in 2017. Um, uh, (laughs) called no plus ones with my buddy dan ozzy but that was also the year i left my job as music editor of av club so i left that job in march um did another office job that was a nightmare and i left after like four months and then started freelancing full-time so i was doing the podcast freelancing full-time and just like completely uh pulled the rug out from under my life and then had to figure out if i could uh make it work so we all were in transition in 2017 to better things it sounds like hell yeah um so this is a very strange year in terms of releases for this podcast because we have one clear winner only one record that got more than 30 votes another record that got another single record that got more than 20 votes and then the rest were just like 15 or below and Usually it's like wow, yeah. So like usually it's like we can compartmentalize these into like here's five records that got like thirty votes, but like no, it was just uh, I think it was just the effect that there were a lot of records and um, just maybe very few just like front runners. Um, and I as a, like I was texting you earlier, I feel like a big problem is that a lot of these records are not the record for yeah. the band in question. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. A lot of those records, I mean a lot of, a lot of a lot of those bands already had their record it seemed like. I mean, maybe we can like come to a conclusion at the end of it, but like yeah, this is this is a very strange year cuz like a lot of these records are hardly emo, etc, but uh mm-hmm. um I guess do we want to spoil what the big winner is? By the time this episode comes out, uh we'll have already done that episode right unless we release them out of order unless we release them out of order okay um i don't know maybe we should just skip it okay because <laughs> right. either way people will know yeah either way people yeah will know. there will be a there will either be a big omission or you won't know um so the only it one... will be very obvious looking at this list of records which one that is yes. yeah so yes we'll skip down to the only one that had 30 plus votes which is surprising uh, but it's Swordfish with that album Rodia, which, uh, I mean, huh. in I was very surprised with in, this, yeah. In 2017, this band broke up and people didn't really care. Or uh, not, they didn't care that they broke up. It was just not that hot of a record. Uh, but now... There was, I, a, there was a cancellation, too, I think. There um, was, really? There, yeah, there, there was, was a cancellation. A can- it got reversed. Yeah. But... My God... <laughs> It got it got picked up by Fox for the uh, for the midseason. <laughs> nice, good as it should. I remember in 2017 we talked about that on the podcast because it was the same episode we talked about Modern Baseball's final show. So we talked about yeah, it. yeah. 
I remember getting sent this record. Yeah, because some I I'm kind of friends with the guy that runs the label, takes us to Heart Records, and he sent me this. And I was like, oh fuck, this has that 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 one song. I don't know what's called. Uh, Ten bucks, she says. You think about her more than she thinks about you. That's a huge line that people still talk about on Twitter and stuff. But like, I knew that that song was a hit, and like, yeah, uh, people really ride for this band now. Um, I remember when I revisited it for this episode. I remember being surprised at how short the album was and how kind of laid back the it, it, it sounds. Like when I see like a like a twenty three minute record, I expect it to be like a rager. Mm-hmm. But this is not really a rager. There's like lots of lots of slow stuff uh it builds like there's definitely like payoffs um but th- lots of just kind of like dreamy uh you know horn uh uh what's the what's the word i'm looking for like horn dog horn dog <laughs> correct um horn accents like added to it i feel like the their their brass section didn't need to be like as big of a, a part of their sound as it ended up being. Um, it just kind of was adjacent to the, to the rest of their songwriting. Uh, but I, I did think it was like a pleasant experience, like a, like a 6.5 to seven out of 10. Um, I just, I don't remember why I was like super stoked on it when it came out. <laughs> well, I didn't realize this until just now, but, uh, it was recorded by Nick from the Swellers and it was mastered by cam. Oh, Okay. Makes sense. For me, this is a band I definitely remember uh, to bring up our friend Ian again. He, uh, I remember him kind of big upping this. And I checked it out and I was just, similarly, I was like, ah, this is cool. But there was nothing that made me want to go back to it, really. 2017 was also kind of the year where some of the stuff that was on the ballot, I liked what I would say isn't really emo in how I would describe the genre, but uh, I was also making a turn back into more heavy and aggressive music. So a lot of this more kind of sedate, chilled out uh, emo just kind of didn't really speak to me because I was like, well, it doesn't have the energetic thrust that I tend to long for in this type of thing. And it also doesn't have kind of the really, it's not, committing fully to being a lush produced album it kind of felt like this is a band that could grow into being a cool band but was just like yeah that's a it's an admirable effort is how i would have described it at the time right yeah there's no blast beats or breakdowns so Correct. i don't know i don't know what i liked about it now that it's I hard think to say <laughs> yeah i am really curious on like how people are finding out this record afterwards because like uh, like it's a band that broke up and like kind of stopped promoting themselves. And I know, I think there's members of the band in that band Ness Lake. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it seems like a very random one to be living on. Yeah. I think it's just interesting how things on the internet can really take on a second life, you know? And I, I think that's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about being there for some of those early shows was like, you know, uh, of like grownups and stuff is like, yeah, we can through certain YouTube videos or things like that really begin to think that a band had a bigger impact than they actually did when most of their existence was playing to borderline empty rooms. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do wonder how much of this is, and I think part of the thing that I find um, always really interesting about emo in particular is how like you never know what the first record that the, the next generation hears is going to be. And I wonder how much this was just like for a certain group of kids, like one of the first things that they felt was theirs, you know, and those people are now just still into it and continue to bang that drum a little bit. I believe it. I agree with that take. Spot on. Why? Thank Uh, you. It's almost like you like know what you're talking about when it comes to music or something. I mean, I I wouldn't say that. Uh, I I do a podcast about alkaline trio. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right um, only one with 20 plus votes I, I was surprised by by this one uh like being so high up in the mix yeah uh it could easily get lumped into the next one i feel like uh but that record is tiger's jaw spin um, weird <laughs> yeah yeah so this is the one that they put out on will yip's label memory music i think it was like the first release or something that got to put out which is like a major label backed thing um mm-hmm. i remember i listened to the first single and i was like eh and i didn't listen to the album when it came out um uh, i recently saw tiger's job they played madison for the first time ever and i revisited spin because that was most of what they were playing on their set and it was better than i thought it was i had a better reaction to just the eh when it came out so the thing about tiger's jaw is that uh, their later records, which always sound like mediocre indie rock, like on the album, come across much heavier and more energetic live um, because they're like such a season touring act at this point. And like, I feel like the songs off Charmer especially benefit from like a live performance. Yeah. Um, But going back and listening to this one, I was like, wow, this is so nondescriptive. (laughs) <laughs> this I, is, this I is like that a mush so much it's um, just like applesauce with no flavor is what this record feels like well i i'm gonna uh, so i have two things to say um the first is i with almost no exception hate will yip's production i think i think Set. he's a fu- i think he's a fucking coward and <laughs> and that makes the most boring safe fucking choices for bands that are otherwise really creative be that oh, yeah come on the podcast yeah come on the podcast and and say who said what about me um <laughs> but what i will say is I, I agree with ellie a lot is that i feel that tiger's jaw is a band again i saw very early and to tell a very funny story uh i think it was the first lp um, the, the pizza cover one, not the one before that had just oh. come out and they were playing. The yeah. The yeah. first good one. Um, and they were playing beat kitchen here in Chicago. It was them, uh, the sidekicks that band like bats I talked about. And then the broke downs and the broke downs are like, a uh, org core, mm-hmm. like drunk punk band. Yep. It was a Sunday again. I think maybe 50 people showed up. The room was pretty empty and Tiger's job played the worst set one of the worst sets I've ever seen in my fucking life. Um, And I vividly remember it was the guy, Ben, the the tall guy who's still in the band. He played the entire show with his back to the crowd. And then Adam, uh, before the last song was like, "Uh, you know, uh, is going to get is 
get all you guys excited. I'm going to take my shirt off. And then he's popped his shirt off for the last song and played shirtlessly. And everyone's like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and I think they like broke their kick drum and like were being, they were super awkward. And I was like, whoa, I really like this band. And that was like terrible. Uh, and then they came back like probably six, eight months later, played the same room and it was sold out and, and they were much more together. But honestly, well, I have a bigger affection for the records that Adam is on. I think they became a better live band after he left. And I also, I also feel like those songs, like, they're basically this big, like, early 90s alt-rock songs. Like, these are basically, like, unwritten Gin Blossom songs. So I can't be too mad at that, but it's also just, like, it doesn't really compel me to feel any kind of way about it unwritten gin blossom song sounds great when i'm thinking about like how much i love new miserable experience um, exactly and not so great when i think about everything that that band did after new miserable experience exactly <laughs> this will be weird because uh didn't patrick on axe grind say that he saw the worst performance that he saw in like europe or something and it was like a tiger's straw set Yes, and they were really drunk, and Ben kept trying to take his shirt off. It was Ben uh, they, that Patrick said, not Adam, but, like, <laughs> sideways. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, through, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the shirt hole, like, through the armhole. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Maybe that's there's a common lineage here. Yeah. They might have been really drunk. But it was, like, a Sunday afternoon, like, borderline matinee. Like, they played at, like, 4 p.m. Um, it, was, it was a very odd day. They were living the life. Mm -hmm. they sure were uh but yeah i mean they're just the kind of band at this point where like i kind of respect them almost just because they're like we're gonna keep going and keep trying to perfect the perfect pop song as if that already hasn't been written and that's a it's a noble goal in and of itself but it yeah when I, i this record is just like very kind of uninspired to me you know you know what i would actually compare post adam tiger's draw to more than gin blossoms hmm. is every Lemonheads record except for it's a shame about ray nailed it yeah that's that's yeah. pretty perfect just that same like evan dando trying and failing to grasp like the perfect three minute pop song yeah and like the Lemonheads. Are, yeah i like i get why people love the Lemonheads, but i need one lp and i'm checked out on the rest of it i only really need my drug buddy fair i think rudderless is a pretty perfect song but uh yeah i mean that record is it it's the one and i think honestly like if a band can have one wall-to-wall great record that's that's not that easy to do and uh i think tiger's jaw has come pretty close to that on a couple occasions but for the most part in, in the modern world i'm like i just feel like they're on every tour anymore yeah. like i see a tour get announced i'm like Tiger's job, third or four. Like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like they're one of those bands that po- probably just needs to put out an album every three years to keep going on tour and keep people mm-hmm. and keep themselves in, in the feeds and on the tours and stuff. But uh, that's always like a sad thing to watch, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on how it goes. I think like if you see a band that's kind of grinding it out putting in that work because they're trying to uh, transition to something new, try to do something different and clearly have a long play for where they're trying to go. Um, yeah. I think that can be 
really compelling because I love bands that do that. I love people that evolve and uh, really go from, oh, we started out here and we built to this other thing. And, and you can like that whole ride. But to me, I, I think my issue with a lot of bands, not to you know really pick on Tiger's job, but bands of this ilk, is that they really came out the gate firing and now they're yeah. doing a more simplified, safer version of what made those early records so inspired and exciting. You know, um, they've removed the kind of messiness and kind of guesswork that made those songs feel so memorable and exciting and are just replacing it with like, well, this is how you write a good song, you know? Yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. to your point, like, with a band like that, it's kind of sad to watch them just kind of continually put out variations on the same 10 songs over and over again. Uh, but honestly, they're one of the longest running emo bands currently. Like, the first album came out in 2006. They're coming up on, what, 15 years? 14 years. Or yeah, yeah, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, wild. Um, cool. This next section... Uh, I'll probably I'm probably gonna become more positive as we get lower down the list, but out of this batch of like seven records, I only enjoy one. Okay. Uh, so this is a name without anything in specific. Like it's called uh, the section is called big bands with low key duds. Low key duds can mean that your record, uh, you know, wasn't good to a lot of people. It could mean that that it it didn't turn out at the polls very well, which is which is surprising for a lot of these. Uh, so I'm not calling any of these ones in particular uh, duds in quality, but uh, I'm I know for a fact a lot of people will put that onto many of them on this list. So free throw, bear your mind, the front bottoms going gray, the world is a beautiful place, always foreign, prawn, run, Raina Maria, self titled. Turnover, good nature, pet symmetry, good vision. I will run through and add some comments here. Free throw, bear mind. Um, I think this is one that no one really loves. Um, it's not their record for sure. Uh, they went in a weird pop punk production style that turned me off. Um, however, this is when they were starting to get even bigger and bigger. Um, and they kind of broke into that pop punk circuit. Like they're touring with like knuckle puck and stuff. Uh, the front bottoms going gray. This is a stinker. I think we all know that. This is where everyone mm -hmm. kind of turned their backs on that band uh, who were with them from the first couple records. The world's a beautiful place, always foreign. I don't think I have been stoked for a record uh, in 2017 as much as this one because I was a fanboy at this point and this thing I tried so hard to love but only got to about like liking it. Like I kind of liked it. I had like a half crush on it. Prawn, <laughs> Run. This one, extremely underrated. I feel like people gave so much of a shit about uh, Kingfisher. And then when this came out, it was like radio silence. But the album has some really good tracks on it. I don't think this band even tours anymore. So I, that kind of doesn't help it. Rainer Maria, self-titled. I was excited for this record. It's It's not one of those records from like a reunion band that I'm like, mad that it came out it's not one of those cases where it like sullies like a perfect catalog um but it's pretty good and i i saw someone call it their album of the year which i thought was surprising because i don't think it was anywhere near that um turnover good nature i don't hate this record i think it's fine it's not peripheral vision it's not emo never were 
Um, and then Pet Symmetry, Good Vision. I really like this record, actually. Um, I didn't like Pets, Hounds, uh, but I thought this one is like eight times better than that. All right. Um, free Throw, Bear Your Mind. Uh, you're right. This is definitely the record that got them like pop punk traction. The weird thing about Free Throw is that because they keep putting out like these pop punk records and getting on pop punk tours, their fan base continually grows and grows. Mm -hmm. But it seems that even the new fans really only seem to care about their old shit, um, which is un which is unfortunate. Uh, it's not that I think the songwriting itself is bad. It's just that it feels a lot less passionate than their than their earlier stuff. Maybe it's the production. Maybe it's the performances. I don't know. It just like isn't hitting for me. The front bottoms going gray. Even if you like enjoyed their older stuff, like even if you were like, you know what, Talent of the Hawks got some jams. I don't understand how you could enjoy going gray. I think that this is like an actual affront to music. It was. It's. It might be like my least favorite album of 2017. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's just a horrendous piece of shit. It's hard to believe uh -huh. that they wrote the songs. Like considering what they wrote before, like it seems like someone brought this to them to perform. It. It feels like, like you know how Homer Simpson has like a crayon stuck in his brain, and that's what makes him stupid. It's like uh -huh. some just like lodged crayons, like just poked him all over Brian Sella's head like and they're just there and he's just been slowly degrading uh since like 2008 um the world is a beautiful place always foreign uh I remember this record actually having like some controversy when it came out because it was after Nicole got kicked out and people were saying that like there's like a veiled diss track yeah. uh about her on this mm -hmm. record and people were saying that it was like transphobic or ableist or something um I can't really speak to whether or not that's true. All I all I know is that I listened to this record once and have never felt the urge to listen to it again. Um, Prawn Run, I I guess I could I can see like why someone who really likes Prawn would like this record, but as someone who really liked Kingfisher specifically, this this one just like didn't do much for me. The Rainer Maria record, I think is absolutely stellar i'm not gonna say it's better than their 90s material but it does feel like that band kind of came into its own identity i think with like the members being like more sure of who they were in life um right. and that like, assuredness comes through like in the songwriting for sure turnover good nature is also a pile of garbage but it's not nearly like as objectionable as the front bottoms record um i just think it's yeah, I I call Better Oblivion Community Center audio ambient, but that is definitely like a good description for good nature. And then Pet Symmetry Good Vision is extremely boring. Don't don't feel it at all. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna run through them too. I took notes so I can uh, do this unassisted. Free throw. Do not care. Sick. Yeah, first record's fine. Um, I I know I wrote about it when I was at the AV Club. Um, in part because I was like. Eh, this is all right, and I want to, like, you know, uh, have a take, I guess. Um, but after that, like, their name sounds like they would be a pop-punk band, and they became a pop-punk band. Front Bottoms <laughs> sounds like if Mountain Goats uh, was fronted by Tom DeLonge on this record, and I fucking hate it. Uh, it's like if Angels and Airwaves was, like, I don't know, really into Jesus uh, even more than he already is. It's very bad. I don't like it. Um not at all my thing. 
the world is record. I mean, I think it's really hard to uh, follow a record like Harmlessness, which I really did think was everything coming together for that band. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, they had some really good songs and a lot of songs that like to uh, piggyback on a Simpsons reference were basically elevators to nowhere where it's just like a crescendo into a crescendo into nothing. Um, and I think Harmlessness was really well crafted. There's a couple good songs on this, but I again, uh, much like it sounds both of you never really uh, feel the need to go back to. Tron is a band that I really like the Ships EP, and I do like Kingfisher. This one's just kind of okay. Uh, I feel like Tron at their worst is just kind of a middle-of-the-road emo band, and at their best is really inspired and uh, takes a lot of risks, but this record just kind of felt like, ah, oh, new Tron, whatever. Uh, I agree with you both. That Ray Maria record is sick. Um, it's very different, and I I know people who are uh, not emo people who like that record better than any of their other ones, so I don't think huh. your take, Ellie, is that uh, controversial. Um, it does have a little bit more of that, like, hum-inspired space rock sound brought into it, which I think is an interesting flavor for them, and I think live... This material really comes across well, um, but I, I don't think it's a record people care about that much. Yeah, uh, Turnover, totally audio ambient, not a thing I dig. And Pet Symmetry, I am friends with all those dudes, and I do like the songs on this record a lot. I like went out with a with them for like a brief tour before, so like my uh, objectivity is kind of out the window there. But I, I think that's a really good record. I, I guess if we can talk about Prawn for, like, a split second more, like, I'm surprised that the quality of this record, like, mattered so much because, you know, like, Free Throw, they kept getting bigger on it, and there was, like, a ton of anticipation for this record, and I think it, like, didn't, like, it wasn't Kingfisher Part 2, and people were just like, eh. Like, sometimes that matters so Guilty. much, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I feel like Prawn was a band that I always felt um, never really hit the people they were trying to hit somehow um and maybe this is just my experience of seeing them but there's only one time it was like right when kingfisher came out that i actually felt like they got a kind of big crowd response but i always felt they were a band that was like oh before that i was like oh they're kind of underrated i think they're gonna be really good and then after that i was kind of like i think they made the record they were destined to make and then just kind of kept going and uh yeah, it's not bad. It just doesn't really inspire much feeling for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued about this next section, Kyle. I'm surprised <laughs> that, that you like put it in. <laughs> I put it in there because I think this shows that like there's a big uh, like pitfall in where those votes could have like gone to. And yeah. because we have yeah. two canceled records, um, they were both canceled that year. Because I remember if you put these on your list, you were kind of a dick. Uh, brand new science fiction sorority noise you're not as blank as you think i think sorority noise might have been early 2018 actually because i remember uh it won emo of oh the year shit, and yes it was, yeah. like, it was like the background image and we had to take it down that's right that's right that's right that's right oh yeah because uh, they they did that that alternate edition and then i think yes. got canceled okay yeah um, um not that we have to talk about these records but like clearly these would have been like they they would have gotten a lot of votes, even like from our woke listeners. I feel like, <laughs> um, 
so the interesting thing to me about these two records is that um, a band being canceled ultimately, like, it, it, it never actually impacts like how I f- think of like the quality of their music, just how much I, I feel like going back to it. Like, I rarely go back to brand new, even though like I thought science fiction was a really good record, and I don't think that band actually has a ba- like a musically bad record in their catalog. Um, and Sorority Noise, I almost like felt relieved when they got canceled because then I didn't have to like uh, pretend to take them seriously. <laughs> Ooh, that's harsh. I do. I do like, I do like uh, the 2014 record joy departed. Um, but, and uh, the first record has some tracks on it. Like the lyrics are really bad, but it's got some, it's got some tracks. Uh, this record is like actually bad. I remember hearing Cam in interviews say that he like wrote a lot of these songs in like one sitting, and I was like, "That's not surprising. That's also maybe why I'm not like getting getting anything to chew on for this record." Yeah, I won't go so far as to say like they clearly didn't care while they were writing these songs, but um, I I don't care about these songs. <laughs> Fair. I will uh, jump in and say that, I mean, I, I really like Brand New. I really like that record. So uh, had things not happened the way they did, I would probably have more to say about it. Uh, with Sorority Noise, um, going to kind of plead the fifth on it and just say that uh, I was friendly with Cam when all this was going down. Him and I were texting back and forth, and uh, I'm glad he got the help he needed. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and Sorority Noise stood for a lot, and I think like that's something yeah. that is kind of uh, it's kind of an awkward thing to think about in retrospect. Uh, oh yeah, but emotionally it was just like a disastrous blow to the scene. Yeah, yeah, one of the biggest ad- yeah. advocates now uh, flipped on his head. So yeah, I guess another awkward category is huge adjacent records. If these were on the list, the votes would have gone. To probably a bunch like uh, a a lot of votes would have ended up in this section. Remo Drive greatest hits. Uh, this year was basically on our emo. Remo is emo, and then mods being like, no, good. Uh, yeah, the, they're not they're not emo. I I I was the only mod who didn't care if they got posted, um, <laughs> because like if if the DIY scene loves them and no other forums are willing to talk about them, sure. Throw them on our email, which I think is what I even said in like the first episode we ever recorded. Um, but this band is both extremely mediocre and not email in my opinion. Um, they, they just kind of sound like lay, <laughs> like super chunk on Xanax. They're just not good. They're a bad band. Like, I don't know. What? That's all I got on that one. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't even speak up and be like, this is a pretty good record. Uh, like, they're... they're, they're... Uh, Kyle, you're killing me. Like, I don't love them. Like, I, I think I've heard a lot of the things that inspired them, and people would say that they're ripping off. But I still, like... I don't know. I, every time they've come through Mass, and I have at least hit the pit with the kids for You're Killing Me or the Sluck songs that I feel like it um, 
I I kind of get what they're doing, so I feel like I'm already like unlocked the this band is overrated gene. You know what I mean? Fair, fair. Right. Okay. I, I'm just too old for it. I think that's <laughs> what it is. And also, like, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but what do I have to lose? Who cares? They're doing fine. The only band that ever tried to pale on me was Remote Drive. That ever tried to what? Pale. pale yeah. Oh my you know, god! Where they like try to pay me to cover them? <laughs> Honestly, if Remo Drive paid me, I would take back everything I've ever said about that band. Wait, so... it, uh, Elliot wasn't enough money to go through oh, that. Oh, Your oh, reputation is worth more. I see. Hold on, maybe hold if on. maybe if Remo Drive in 2019 tried to pay all of me. Yes, so, not back then. So this makes me think another thing. So. They were one of the bands that Anthony Fantano just for no reason like gave a chance. Like like band put out this record and then he gave it like a full review. Do you think that it was a money thing? I don't know. I don't want to speculate on uh on Fantano's uh business. I'm sure he's doing pretty well, but uh I don't know. I I know this band pretty early on had a, a little bit of a machine behind them. And I remember I would get premiere requests all the time, and it was the only one that was like, if you do this, we'll send you this much money. And I felt so deeply gross that I was like, mm, no, this is not worth And it was also like, right. if it was a band I liked, I'd be like, oh, I'll cover this. You do not pay me. That's not how this works. And I've had to say that to like a lot of bands that were just starting out that I covered who didn't understand how the world worked. This was bad enough where I was like, I do not want my name attached to this. Like, ugh. Well. Yeah. Um, so do we have our, like, official, like, industry plant accusation now? <laughs> sure. Run with it. <laughs> cool. I don't know. Because they kind of came off with this band that just had, like, a bunch of great music videos and stuff. And then I remember the Fantano review, like, more or less broke them. Like, because uh, it was very, very positive, and uh, they were like an unknown band. Of course, it was positive. They're boring indie rock. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Uh, uh, the other huge adjacent record was the Men's Zingers after the party, which I feel like this one was like everywhere. Like, uh, what was the record before this on the Possible Past? No. Uh, Rented World. Rented World. I feel like that one was like. All right, the hype machine is building, and this like Menzingers record like got into every punk subgenres like yeah uh, jerk yeah. off scene, and like, and it's weird because for me this is when the Menzingers finally exhausted all the goodwill they'd built up with on the Impossible Past. Same. Like I was like, you're really gonna write this record again? I mean, it's when they became. Um... They're just a parody of themselves, especially yes. now. Yes. Um, for me, again, not to just keep playing the old guy card, but like I saw them play my hometown on that first LP, which also is not very good. And then <laughs> the second record's okay. They put out that Hold On Dodge 7-inch, uh, which is where I was like, oh, okay, they're starting to figure it out. On the Impossible Pass, I think, is great for what it is uh rented world has some tracks but this one i remember coming out and i, I wrote a review of it at the time for ab and uh i think i gave it like a c minus or something because i'm like there's two or three really good songs but there's also nine other ones that are just like 
boilerplate Menzinger's topics and structures and riffs. And, uh, yeah, uh, especially now, it's just like someone needs to shake them and be like, you guys can stop doing this. It's okay. Like, please do something else. But are you kidding me? Like, they are making so much money. They have fucking VIP packages now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is around the time they went on tour with Sublime with Rome. What? Uh, and I, <laughs> what? And I imagine that crossover helped them. So, would you say that Menzingers are are now like the most successful org core band? Probably. I mean, I think it depends. Depending on, on depending on if you want to consider Alkaline Trio uh, or like even like a Gaslight Anthem who got real big. Yeah, and they aren't a band anymore. Um, yeah. But I mean, of the current concerns of bands that came of age when punk news already existed, without question. Yeah. And like, I don't begrudge them their success. And I've seen them like bring out a lot of cool openers and do cool package tours and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I just uh, do not feel compelled by what they do album to album. But I think they're one of those bands that like, They've kind of unlocked the code where it's like, all right, well, we've got the record or two everyone loves. So we just need to have records that have three good songs that we can slot into our set. And people will still think we're a fucking great band, you know? Uh, yeah. And I think that's really what their fan base is, is people who like are like only looking for three good new Menzinger songs every year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to they break. Have a, they have sick of it all syndrome. Yeah, basically. The cult is there. They don't need more. They're fine. I just feel bad and I need to break the fourth wall for a second. Just apologize to the audience because, like, we got three people and we can't even say a single good thing about the Men Singers record that everyone loves. So people officially are going to be like, fuck this podcast. Welcome to my life. <laughs> I mean, like, I remember writing that review and people just being like, what the fuck are you talking about? This yeah. is the best record since On the Impossible Past, which, like, it's been one record. Calm down. But also, yeah. like, if you like them, I'm not going to disparage that. Like, I totally understand why people dig it so much. And I would say that org core scene is so stagnant and dead that if you're going to pick one band from it, it might as well be this one. Like, yeah. if that's a sound you really like, what are your your alternatives in the present moment? Like a bunch of like third rate pop punk bands that like couldn't write a song to save their fucking lives. Might as well go with the Menzingers. Yeah, every Menzingers fan should just go listen to Junior Battles instead, <laughs> or literally anything else. But you know, yeah, it, it yeah. is what it is. Or they could just stay at <laughs> home and drink and listen to Dillinger Four. Yeah, I will <laughs> that's not. what. Take what they Dillinger Four slander on this podcast, though. That's where I draw the line. I feel like all three of us love Dillinger Four. Yeah, okay, good. Of course, I saw them like two weeks ago. It was fucking awesome. But I'm also from Chicago, so I get to do that. Um. So the rest of the list is not. Believe it or not, this is not everything. There's just stuff that I just left out because I don't know if we could even talk about it. But uh, these were debuts and follow-up records. That's how I categorized the rest of this pool. Um. It's sizable. I'm going to run through it. Oliver Houston, Whatever Works, The Obsessives, Self-Titled, Katie Allen, Cowgirl Blues, I Hate Sex, World of Grief, Great Grandpa, 
plastic cough, graduating life, an introduction to rock and roll, Del Paxton, all day and every night, Diet Sig, swear I'm good at this, Karakara, Summer Megalith, Bliss, No One Loves You, Strange Ranger, Day Moon, Sinai Vessel, Broken Legged, Perspective of Lovely Hand to Hold, What Not to Do. Um, I'm going to add some comments on most of these. Oliver Houston, Whatever Works. This is my favorite album of the year for emo. Um, I thought this thing was just packed full of riffs, uh, really interesting choices on every song, really. Like, there is not a bad song in this record. I think that's rare for emo in in this age. Uh, But yeah, this band, uh, fuck you for breaking up so early. Um, The Obsessive, self-titled. This one has some hype behind it, and I think it's, uh, I think it's a, great follow-up it sounds very indie rock that was my comment on it katie ellen cowgirl blues i saw them a couple times this that year and was really impressed um didn't listen to the album enough i listened to it today ellie i know you you listen to it so we'll talk well you'll probably give it a lot of shine uh but this album Mm. is underrated as hell um i hate sex world of grief have not listened to this record still haven't my bad yo what the fuck <laughs> uh, great grandpa plastic cough indie rock record i kill giants members in it um sick record graduating life an intro an introduction to rock and roll i have hardly listened to this record since 2017 um it's fun as fuck uh del paxton extremely underrated band this is a pretty cool math rock record that came out on top shelf that year diet sig Lots of drama around this record. Remember when the Pitchfork review came out and everyone was like giving death threats to that person that wrote that review? Fun times. Oh shit! Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that was pretty bad. Absolutely hate this record. Um, <laughs> Good. Karakara uh, didn't listen to it until this year, and it's solid. Uh, Bliss, I haven't listened to this record since 2017 but i just remember the old emo dudes loved it for some reason i don't know why it hit them so hard um it's a cool record though strange ranger was not on board with this record um i think i spent a lot of time with it and i don't love it still but um i kind of get what they were going for and they've made a better record since sinai vessel amazing band amazing record perspective um had no idea they had I, I had no idea that this came out like in 2017 i thought it came out in like late last year uh, but really good band okay oliver houston whatever works uh absolutely fucking sick record um is probably like the pinnacle of the form like when it comes to what i what i ended up calling sparkle punk around this time um obsessive self-titled uh this is the first or sorry it's not it's not the first on this list but it is definitely like the prime example of well shit it's not the one that came out before <laughs> you know like it's not heck no nancy even if you if i divorce it from the context of like the really good stuff that they had done prior to this record i still am not feeling it like like hmm. you said it's indie rock which you know that's that's the death knell for me yeah katie allen cowgirl blues I slept on this record like holy shit it's a fucking phenomenal album um and Kyle you said this doesn't seem like an Ellie record when I told you how much I enjoyed it uh you were like uh you don't really go for that singer songwriter type of emo but like it's not this isn't Julian Baker like 
no like like sleepy songwriting that like sounds bored with itself and it's not aaron west in the roaring 20s which is like insufferably precious it's just really good energetic passionate from the heart emo influenced indie rock um and it's got that really fucking brutal like acoustic track the the one that's like i don't want to fuck you in our bed anymore like holy shit (laughs) it just wrecked me on the bus I hate sex world of grief. This is actually probably my favorite record on this list. Like stellar, stellar screamo, like peak of the form at this time. Great grandpa, plastic cough. This band is what Roswell kids should be. Um, definitely like definite strong Weezer influence, crunchy power pop hooks galore. If you like Weezer and wish they weren't problematic, or if you like, uh, Roswell Kid and wish that they wrote songs that went somewhere. Uh, give Great Grandpa a try. Uh, graduating Life and Introduction to Rock and Roll. I probably like this when it came out, but because Bart's voice has become like an actual like allergen to me, um, I can't go back to it. And the lyrics are like atrocious. Uh, Del Paxton, All Day and Every Night. It's fine. It, it does what it's trying to do. Um, Diet Sig. I really, really enjoy this album. <laughs> Sorry. Hot take. I, I love I love Diet Sig. Like I think they're a great, great band. <laughs> I don't why why don't you guys like this record? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't like it because I like the EP's previous a lot. Uh specifically the seven inch that came out before it. I think those two songs are their best songs. And then I had seen them a lot and was very excited for this record. And then when I heard it, I was just like, I already have. Um, So it's not that I dislike the band at all. It's just that I find this group of songs not to be their most compelling. I saw this band uh, touring out this record and they played with the front bottoms. Uh, Maybe it was because they played with the front bottoms, but I really loved Diet Sig. Fair. (laughs) You know, Uh, but... I thought I thought this this record was phenomenal. It's more like pop hooks that just like dig in your skin, um, and I, mean, yeah, I think I guess... her voice is really good for the genre. I yeah. feel like it's genuinely like unique, and I think their songwriting perspective is really unique. Um, and I do like their EPs maybe a little bit better. I like Over Easy a lot, um, but this is still a pretty great record. I think to to spoil my hand here a little bit, uh, the Katie Ellen record did everything I wanted this record to do a little better. Um, that's Damn, the one that I didn't, uh, I didn't even think to compare the two. Like I wrote for that Katie Ellen record real hard when it came out because it just lyrically I thought was very simple and moving. I thought the songs didn't try to do too much, but still had a lot of meat on the bones. Um, I think that's the best record Anika's made, and I would uh, have nothing but kind things to say about it. I wrote a big profile of her around that record for Noisy, and I just think it had a more uh, advanced perspective, and I think it's, um, yeah, it just does that thing so much better, and having both of those come out in the same year, I just never went back to the Diet Sig record. I, I get that. I feel like I was looking for different things from each from each record which makes Um, sense too yeah uh kara kara summer megalith uh this is like very pleasant but not something that i listen to willingly 
Uh, I was looking through like the related artists and it was like Chastity. Um, and I saw that band at the Thrasher Vans showcase. Uh, and uh, they bored me to tears while they were on stage. So I, I understand why people who like them also like Karakara. Um, and it's not it's not even that Karakara is bad. It's just like they do what they do well. It's just not for me. And on the flip side, I feel like Bliss does actually something pretty similar to Karakara, like in the songwriting department. Um, and I actually used to not really like this band very much. Um, but this record has really, really good production, just like crushing production. And I feel like this this was the end of when that like strained vocal style like was in vogue and like right before it lost its appeal. The the bliss front person does it very, very well. Um I recommend it. Strange Ranger, Day Moon. I'm surprised to hear you be down on it, Kyle. Uh I enjoyed it. Uh it 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 mostly goes for moods and grooves over yeah. like bangers well i mean uh, coming off of rot forever this is like a, a way different direction yeah it's practically ambient like in comparison yeah. but um i i liked it um sinai vessel broken legged i felt like it this was like the evil mirror version of the free throw record in that this was also that band trying to go pop punk but they did it in a much more elliptical and uh cerebral way and it succeeds uh but it doesn't hold my attention for very long it's still better than the free throw record uh and, and obviously like otherwise the songwriting approaches are pretty vastly different and then perspective a lovely hand to hold i didn't actually realize that this band had songs that weren't pepe sylvia so <laughs> i probably shouldn't have talked about it <laughs> oh okay um Oliver Houston, uh, I was kind of unfamiliar with, to be honest, but I did dig it. Um, not something I would have been aware of in 2017, but I think is a little more in tune with my interests. Um, they are our emo darlings at this time. That makes remember, perfect so sense to me. They were um, very much on our radar. And I think deservedly so. Um, the obsessives don't care about it all. Uh <laughs> Not for me, Katie Ellen. I've kind of already said my piece, but I, I really love that record. Probably my favorite from this batch. I Hate Sex is a great Screamo record. I like Screamo a lot. So, yeah, um, definitely for me. Uh, great Grandpa. I like the new record better, even though it's kind of sleepy indie rock that I wouldn't normally go for. But I think it's uh, about as well done as that can be. Um, graduating Life, I do not care about. <laughs> um Del Paxton, this record's solid. It's it's one of those where I remember when it came out being like, oh, this is kind of cool, but it just doesn't have anything that makes me want to go back to it. Um, I think it's totally serviceable for what it is. Uh, Diet Sig, again, this felt like a little bit of a letdown for me, um, just because I liked the earlier stuff and I liked the energy. Um, but I also saw them like probably a dozen times within a couple years. Uh, just because of them opening shows and at fests and stuff. So I, I might have spent a little burned out on it. Car Car is, again, a band that's not really for me. I don't hate it, but it's just uh, it's a little too tidied up for my liking, a little too clean um, for me to really yeah. resonate with it. Um, and it's kind of my issue with a lot of bands from this era is that like 
not that I think everything needs to be some like four track basement recording, but as a lot of these bands started getting a little cleaner and a little bigger and aiming for bigger rooms, it just, it kind of betrayed what I liked about it. And as it went more indie, it just kind of lost me. Um, this is the record that Jake from Modern Baseball produced, right? I think so. Yeah. I feel like he was trying to make them sound like production wise, kind of like Slaughter Beach Dog. Yeah. And I like Slaughter Beach Dog, but I don't really care for oh, this very much. I, I don't like Slaughter Beach Dog, so. That's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bliss, I also don't really like on this list, uh, or Perspective, a Lovely Hand to Hold. Uh, the last two, Strange Ranger, this is just not the record. Uh, I think the Sioux Falls LP, I really love. I think the new one's better. And Silent Vessel, again, it's it's cool, but I, I never go back to it. Hmm. I think this is perhaps, like, the most succinct that we've ever gone through this list. There's just so many, I had to really burn through it. Yeah. I, kn- I know, but, like, this is, this is, like, the first list where I feel like everyone involved, like, knew what they wanted to say, and we were just, like, uh, on it. <laughs> well, I think it's when you have a list that's not, like, when there's no, uh, when there's a clear top candidate, it's really hard to like, be like, no, this one, like there, there are obvious choices in this group. And so I think there's only one record that I would say is genuinely awful. And that's the, uh, fucking what's their name? Front bottoms, everything else. Like there's nothing that I'm like, Oh, I hate this. Or I really love this. It's just kind of in that mid era or mid range where it's like, at the worst, this is like a four and a half. At the best, this is like a seven. And right. when you have stuff that's in that era or that area, it's just really hard to find anything to say about it. Yeah. Still, though, Kyle, listen to I Hate Sex. Yeah, like, that's that's uh, that's my glaring error. You got two of the biggest screamo aficionados telling you, like, listen to the shit. It's top tier scrams. <laughs> Is it like what people would call basement screamo? Um, no, it's actually very well produced. Oh, okay. Um, like it's not. Uh, it's it's not. I remember. I think at like, um, the end of this year when we were doing our year end list, um, and I talked about that they go they go under the name Echelons now, so I forget what their old name used to be. Um. But it's the band that recorded everything on a dictaphone. And oh, a that's hand. that band. Okay. Yeah. Um, unable to fully embrace this happiness. That band. Um, I I actually forgot uh, that about them, and they should have been on this list. Also, we didn't talk about Ostraka. Um, also very good. Yeah, that yeah, was that that record was number two uh, on the screamo list for me. Really yeah. great record. Yeah, both those are very much worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, I have listened to Ostraco. I listened to it today because a friend sent it to me. He was like, "Hey, have you heard this?" I was like, "Yes, I have." Another one that I like feel bad for not putting on here was the Two Nights record. I think I think that was an EP. That record was really good. Yeah, like really solid pop songwriting. Yep. Uh, not not any more records this year. The Converge record was really good. Uh, the Left Behind record was phenomenal, and the Paramore record, stellar, maybe their best yeah. one. I looked for my album of the year list uh for this year and it's just funny it's just like uh cloud nothings sheer meg meat wave migos what gives uh send oliver houston sandy alex g slow dive and brock hampton apparently i was a little basic bitch that year 
sprinkled <laughs> in with like three DIY re- releases. Hey, I mean, anyone who votes for Meat Wave is a friend in my world. Yeah, so I I'm mean, with that. Yeah, that 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 is a perfect record, though. The Incessant is yeah, like is it's great. It's like the record that that I think that will always be like their the record for them. I think Sandy Alex G and Brockhampton, though. <laughs> that's that's some basic shit. Yeah. I feel like Brockhampton was less basic at the time. No, I actually told my friend today, I was like, I'm already nostalgic for 2017 because Brockhampton were like an exciting thing. And now they're, I don't know what they did. I mean, they're, they like couldn't be a secret. That's the thing. Like, I don't blame them for anything. Like, they were bound to be mainstream. Uh, because they're like such, they're such a band of like the internet forum, like oeuvre. They got real big with those types of like tastemakers. Mm-hmm. And so their fan base ended up being, you know, like the cast of the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and I feel I like J- JPEG Mafia is heading that way, too. It's unfortunate, but yeah. 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 Is that it? Did we like successfully do like an hour and a half episode? Like, yeah. Did we do it? <laughs> Holy shit. It seems it seems quick because we didn't go for three hours, right? And also yeah. because you have a guest who can't really talk. So, you know, that helps. <laughs>